What does it mean to be a Christian? Think about it for a second. What does it mean to be a Christian? And as you are kind of formulating your answer uh, inside you, uh, there's a, uh, here's a one way to put, put that. What does that mean to be a Christian? To be a Christian, I think, in one way, is to respond to God's call. You know, God calls us in different ways. Uh, he calls us to believe in Christ Jesus. He calls us to trust Him in His Word and follow Him. He calls us to deny ourselves, take up the cross daily, and to follow Him. You know, whatever that God calls us to, we respond to that call. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Uh, it's not really about showing up to church on Sunday morning, watching the performance of the praise team and the pastor, and then catching up with people that you know afterwards, going out for lunch, and then going home. That's not really what it means to be a Christian. That's just a facade. And some people say, well, as long as I believe in Jesus, as long as I believe in God, isn't that good enough? Isn't that what being a Christian is? Well, the answer to that is, no, not really. It's not. That's a very flawed thinking. God not only calls us to believe, but also to belong. God calls us to belong. God calls us to belong to the body. You know, it's been almost a year since I was called to embrace. Um, so I started uh, the ministry uh, at last year's um, retreat. So it's been almost, uh, you know, we have a retreat coming up next week. So it's been almost a year. Before that, um, for about six months before that time, uh, I didn't really belong to a church. Uh, there wasn't a church that I was serving at. I went to different church services, to different churches, to different, yeah, different church services, but I did not really belong to any one particular church because I was in the process of discerning where God would lead uh, me and Grace to. So we didn't want to commit to a church um, and then in the, pro- in the middle of it, it just bolt out from that church when we are called to a, uh, whichever church that, that we apply to. Um, so for me, during that time before I was called to embrace, I struggled spiritually, not because I didn't believe in Jesus or God or I didn't know the doctrines and all these things. It's not because of that, but because I didn't belong to a community that I struggled. Simply attending church services didn't cut it for me. I just couldn't really sustain my spiritual walk with the Lord that way, just simply showing up on church on Sunday. You know, God calls us to belong to the community of faith. We were never uh, meant to be an island. A lot of people these days, we think, oh, as long as I believe in Jesus, Jesus and me, That's all there is to it in my spiritual life. As long as I believe in Jesus, as long as I walk with him, 
As long as I pray to him, as long as I listen to the podcast or you know, listen to my favorite preacher online, YouTube and what have you, then I'm okay. I'm a Christian. But that's not really what God calls us to. God calls us not only to believe on Christ, but also to belong to the body. You know, when you watch, I, I think I used this illustration before, but when you watch Animal Planet uh, Channel, you see that when preys stay together, the predator can't really do much because there's a the whole herd sticking together. So what they try to do is to, uh, they try to cause panic and um, you know, separate the herd so that they can, once they kind of panic and when they just go all different directions, then the, the predators, they can just zone in on one, a young one or a slow one or a weak one or something, and then they can just you know, pounce on that poor animal. And that's what happens spiritually as well. When the enemy knows that when we belong to the community, when we belong to a community of faith and be actively involved in it, it's much tougher to really attack. But when you are on your own, oh, it's just me and Jesus. As long as I have a good faith on my own, I'm okay. My spiritual life is fine. I'm a Christian. I don't need to really belong to a church. I just show up once in a while on Sunday morning, then the enemy can easily attack those people who are separated, who are not part of a community. Now, because we live in a, an individualistic culture and society, we read everything through the lens of individualism. So when it comes to, read, so when it comes to even reading the scripture, our understanding is biased toward individualistic uh, interpretation, right? Most of the passages that we read, actually we instinctively apply it to our individual lives and we fail to apply it in the context of the community. For example, in 1 Thessalonians, actually in this chapter that we didn't get to yet, well, next week, Pastor Jay will get to that, but verse 15, uh, 16 through 18 is a very well-known passage to many of us. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when we, uh, it's a pretty well-known passage, but so the natural inclination is we simply, when we read this passage, we apply to me. Oh, God is calling me. God's will for me is to rejoice always that I need to, I should pray without ceasing. I need to give thanks in all circumstances. That's how we apply these verses to us. But you see, these verses are actually, Paul is talking, giving, uh, giving this instruction in the context of the community. Instead of simply quickly applying it to me, oh, I need to rejoice always. I need to give thanks. I need to pray without ceasing. Oh my goodness, how am I going to ever do that? How can, I, how can I pray without ceasing at all times? That's impossible. Because this is God's will for me. That's how we understand these three verses, a well-known passage. But you see, if you read it in this context, Paul is actually speaking about in the context of, as a community, how we are to rejoice always. How we are to give thanks on all occasions through Christ Jesus, how we as a community are to pray without ceasing. 
Now, I'm not saying that this verse does not apply to us individually at all. But what I am saying is that it is first addressed to the congregation and only indirectly it applies to us individually. Instead of thinking, oh, this verse is speaking about me, myself, and I. No. Paul is first speaking to to the community of faith. So what does that really mean? Well, you got to come up uh, come next week, next Sunday, so that uh, Pastor Jay can unpack that for you. It's not in my place to do this today. Um, so this whole section, starting from verse 12, is to be understood as Paul's instruction to the life in the church. And this community of faith that Paul envisions, and by extension, we had embraced vision is the gospel community, the gospel-centered community. The community that God calls for is a community that exalts Christ and believes in the gospel. Not only do we believe in the gospel, but to really live it out in our daily lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not something that we simply put away on the back burner, until a non-Christian comes along and we just kind of, oh, okay, here's a non-Christian, so they need to hear the gospel, so then we just pull out the gospel, the whole uh, thing about truth about the gospel, and then just share it with them. That's not what gospel-centered community does. The community that God desires, God calls for, is for every community to be gospel-centered, to believe it, from the very core of, our heart, core of our hearts, and to really live it out in our daily lives. We are to preach the gospel to ourselves and to be reminded so that we can truly live it out in our daily lives. The gospel has to be the very core value and the identity of our community, even here at Embrace. I really believe that. Because without the gospel, this, you guys, me, this, is just a Christianized social club. We're simply going to gather together, sing some nice songs. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, how was your week? How was your month? Hey, I haven't seen you for a while. What you been up to? Oh, let's just go out for lunch. Might as well just become an, a non-profit organization that may just stand for something or do some good things. Without the gospel, this is a social club. So after reminding the Thessalonians of the gospel, in verses 9 through 11 that we looked at uh, last week, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So even here, again, Paul reminds them of the gospel. After he's reminding them, and then he gives instruction on what gospel-centered community would look like. So last week, Pastor Jay talked about the congregational responsibilities toward the pastors, and the pastors toward the congregation. And today, we're going to be looking at congregational responsibility toward people in the congregation. Paul's focus here is not the ministry of the pastors, but the pastoral ministry 
of the congregation. The gospel community not only needs leadership, as we looked at last week, you know, that we need the spiritual oversight. So the pastors, usually that's the calling, and the elders, these are the, the offices and the people that will just provide spiritual oversight. So the gospel community not only needs leadership, but also the gospel community needs partnership. Members who would provide accountability, fellowship, and mutual edification. So, like in, in our context, I would consider, and I'm sure Pastor Jay as well, the praise band, they're our partners for the gospel, that they would just you know, sacrifice their Saturday mornings to come here to practice, give their time to practice for Sunday worship. Small group leaders, they're our partners in their, uh, in their region, they will prepare faithfully, weekly, to unpack the word of God. They are our partners. They are our partners, Pastor Jay and my, our, my partners for the gospel. The ministry teams, whether you are a leader or people who belong to the ministry teams, you are our partners for the gospel. Even the people who may not uh, have any title, if you are serving in a retreat as small group leaders, if you are somehow reaching out, and some are helping for the cause of Christ, then you are partners with us. You partner with us. And that's what the gospel community needs. Not only the leadership, but the partnership. Paul's concern is how the gospel community ought to treat those people with spiritual uh, problems and needs. You know, no matter how strong or solid a church is, every church, every church has people with issues and, you know, uh, yeah, needs. Just think about Jerusalem church. I mean, we talk about when the Holy Spirit fell upon them at the day of Pentecost, and then they were just going Gangbusters. I mean, they were just going crazy. I mean, people were being added. Thousands of people being added to the church. Can you imagine the, how spirit-filled these people were? How excited it must have been. How, like, you know, God was pouring out His Spirit and people, and they were receiving the daily teaching from the apostles themselves, like Peter, James, John, and all these guys. How excited and amazing this church would be. And yet, they had issues. Ananias and Sapphira, when they just sold their proper their houses and what they had, and when they just gave to the apostles, they took some away. Ah, oh, man, this is a little too much. We're going to take some off the table, right? Just for ourselves as an emergency fund, and we'll just give the rest to the people. Who would know? Right. They had issues. And there were, uh, there were issues within the church, in that church where the, some of the widows were be, being neglected in their daily distribution of food. So there were complaints. You see, every church has people with needs and issues. We live in a broken world, and every one of us is broken people. We all are broken people. There is so much brokenness in all of us. You know, brokenness is seen like everywhere, right? Even in, uh, especially... It can be really seen even in like the committed relationships like marriage. Oh boy, if you're a married couples, you know what I'm talking about. The, the brokenness can be seen everywhere. 
I mean, I didn't know how broken I was until I got married. And then grace pinpoints all those things, that the issues that I have, right? And just like, you know, she's like, oh, my, you got issues. And, um, and so I mean, don't go asking her, right? After, hey, what, what are his issues? I want to know, right? And please don't. I don't think he would just share that with you guys anyways. But um, so just, I, you know, just I've come to realize, man, the biggest lesson that I have learned from my marriage is, man, what a wretched sinner I am. That, that's the first and biggest lesson that I have learned about myself. What a broken person that I am. Right? Brokenness is everywhere. We have people, all of us, in some degree, have issues and brokenness. Paul knew that every church has people who struggle with doubts, problems of understanding faith and conduct. So what is he saying that the gospel-centered community should do when it sees the needs within the, community, within the particular community? The first point, I just have two points. The first point that I want to bring out to you here what he's saying is the gospel-centered uh, gospel community ministers to one another. That's what it takes. That's what it would look like. When there is a need, the gospel community ministers to one another. Notice here he does not say, pastors and leaders, it's your job to do something about that. You get paid to do, you get paid to deal with a mess in people's lives. It's your job. Do your job. Okay? And leave the congregation alone. They are busy people. Don't you know? They have to work like 50, 60 hours a week. They are tired people. They don't have time for that to get involved in other people's lives. But pastors, you get paid to do this. So it's your job. You do your job. You're the professional. That's not what Paul says here. Paul would have none of it. The attitude and the mindset of many in the church However, it's just that. People have come to expect the pastors to wear many different hats. Right? Like many, many, many years ago, when I first began a full-time ministry, I was, uh, it was Sunday afternoon. I was in my office doing something, just working on some stuff, and a couple people just bust through the, the, the door and said, Hey, Pastor Wojin, you need to come right now. I'm like, oh, what's happening? There was such an urgency in their voices, and they said, Oh, there are two guys fighting outside in the church property. They're just fighting, fist fight. And then I was like, so you mean to tell me that you saw them fight and you came over to my office to tell me so that I can go over there to just break off the, break off the, the fight, right? I mean, you know, like, am I a UFC ref or something to break a fight or something? I mean, is that what I'm called to do? But, you know, what am I supposed to do? So I just go over there and by then they kind of like, I mean, I just saw the one guy kicking the other guy. Um, but I was like, wait, what are you guys doing? Just like, stop it, right? So it's it just like, so they, it didn't really, I don't know, maybe it didn't enter their mind that maybe they could kind of try to stop the fight. But the first thing they, oh, it's a pastor. He, we better go and tell pastor so that he can come and break off the fight. That's pastor's job, right? You know, there's only so much pastors can do. And well, I'm not saying this to evade the pastoral responsibilities. I mean, we have to really do what we are called to do as spiritual leaders. But at the same time, there are responsibilities that God has for you, for every one of us. You cannot say, well, what do I know? I'm just a lay person. 
I'm just an average Joe Christian. I'm going to just leave this up to the pastor. Evangelism, missions, or it's pastor's job. Well, compared to the Thessalonian church, all of us have so much more resources. We have received far more. I mean, we have the scripture. I mean, how many of us have so many, how many, like, multiple, multiple Bibles at home, right, that are just collecting dust? And we receive weekly teaching. Thessalonian church, they couldn't even have that. Paul had to leave in the middle of the night. The small group, we have weekly small group that we offer to you. If you are not even satisfied with it, you can always tune in to your favorite preacher's you know, online stuff. You can read up on books. There are so many things that you can just tap into. You cannot simply say, oh, you know, I'm just a lay person. It's not my job. This has got to go to the pastor. But here Paul said, knowing how uh, inadequate or like how difficult it was for the Thessalonian Christians, knowing all those things, that they don't have all the resources that we have here with us. Paul is urging the brothers and sisters to admonish the idle, those who have the ability to work, but who are refusing to work. Loafers. Maybe it is possible in that context that some people were so sure that the second coming of Christ was so imminent that they had given up their work in order, in order to prepare for it. So they, they just stopped working. Uh, Jesus is going to come any time before I, you know, maybe in a, in a day or two or like within a year or something. So I'm not going to work. I'm just going to wait for his return. But Paul says, uh-uh, you work, you work. NIV translation says, warn them. Here, an ESV that we read, it says, admonish, sternly. Right? But in NIV, it says, warn them. You give them warning. Right? And the word idle here, it can also mean disorderly, or somebody who is undisciplined. So, I mean, there is a different interpretation about like, what this word exactly means. Is it, are we talking about the laziness of somebody who has a full capacity to work but who is choosing not to work or somebody who is really undisciplined? We, we don't know for sure. But all the, this, um, this word, the idol, can mean all these things. So, but warn them. God-given talents and abilities that we have, we are to use them to serve the body. And God calls us, calls us to work. If you are able to walk, if you are able to use your hands and feet, if you are able to think, reason, then work, get to work. So for someone to be lazy and not working even though able, it goes against the will of God. And oftentimes when we talk about the gospel, being gospel-centered, we often kind of associate that with this notion of being nice. We got to play nice. Oh, gospel-centered, we got to preach the gospel, so that means we got to like really be nice, not, you know, nice to other people. God, being gospel-centered doesn't mean playing nice, right? When someone isn't doing what he or she is supposed to be doing, then we need to confront that person and admonish or even warn them. Of course, how you bring it up with that person is important as well. It's not only what you say, but how you say it 
is just as important. Right? But here, Paul is talking about accountability <coughs> within the, in the gospel community. Right? Don't just gloss over or sugarcoat things. Or like, oh, I am just so not, I, I don't want to really, you know, just uh, rock the boat. You know, I don't want to stir the pot here. So I'm just going to leave it be. Just, if he's kind of going that way and kind of falling off, oh, well, tough luck. But, you know, as long as I'm doing okay, then I'm okay. I'm okay with Jesus. So that's fine. No, Paul is saying, take ownership and be accountable to one another. While the idle are to be admonished, we minister to the faint-hearted and the weak in a different manner. Paul says, the faint-hearted are to be encouraged and the weak helped. You know the word help here means to take tender care of. To take, take a tender care of the weak. It pictures, it paints the picture uh, of, of the action of holding onto these people, wrapping arms around them. It's like um, uh, maybe many of, you, many of you guys were here a few weeks ago when uh, Imogen was uh, being you know, just dedicated to the Lord. So how her parents, James and Gina, brought the little girl, right, in their arms. She's so small, right? And then just bring her up and present it to the Lord. That's what it means to help somebody is come along those people who are weak and then take tender care of these people who are in need. The weak here could mean those people who are weak in the faith. Maybe somebody who is in financial need. Somebody who may be struggling spiritually. Maybe somebody who is kind of immature spiritually. We are called to come and support, take tender care of, wrap our arms around them, cling unto them, provide care for them. That's what it's called here. And these are people, and there are people who are sad, dispirited. Not every one of us is so strong and solid. You know, instead of looking at them like, you know, what is wrong with you, right? Get on with this. We are to encourage and show TLC. You know, uh, once C.S. Lewis said that something to the extent of basically, you know, when we look at somebody in their spiritual walk, when we look at them where they are, we can easily make a uh, judgment call. Oh, okay, this person, uh, that person's mature is here. He's got just too many rough edges around him. So he's not really that mature. And we see another person who is up here. Whoa, he's a really mature person. So he must be a really good Christian. But what uh, C.S. Lewis says is be careful about even just kind of making a judgment call like that because maybe somebody who we think is like here in terms of their maturity level, we don't know where that person has come from. Maybe that person has come from such a broken family, being abused by uh, that person's parents all his or her life. And from the depth of where that person, brokenness that that person is coming from, the journey that, uh, that it took for them to even get to that spiritual level, is so, it was such a long road. Whereas opposed to somebody who may seem a lot more mature, but then maybe that person's starting point was nowhere near where that person started from. Maybe he or she was born in a really solid Christian family, been to church all their lives, been supplied with all the needs that, 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 that that person had. So maybe the travel or the, the, 
the distance that they travel, the maturity level that travel maybe just from here to here. And we think, wow, good Christian, immature Christian. Be careful when we make assessment like that because we do not know how God has been working even in that person who may seem to us immature. There is a far more uh, you know, maturity that, took, that may have taken place in that person's life. And it's God is still at work in people's lives. We are to take tender, loving care of everyone, people in need. And you know, the people who are faint-hearted and weak, those who struggle often, often think that they are all alone. When we are really struggling mightily, oftentimes we struggle with this idea of being lonely. Man, nobody understands what I am going through. I am so lonely. This is tough. Who's God? I'm so alone in this. The issues that I have with my wife, issues that I have with my children, issues that I have with my church people, issues that I have with a pastor, issues that I have with my boss, co-workers, no one understands. It is so hard. And we feel like uh, those people really struggling, they feel so lonely. But you see, God calls us to be there for one another so that they will know that they are not alone. When I go to some pastor conferences, you know, when I realize the struggles that they are going through, when they really are vulnerable, they share about their struggles and how God has really just like walked through those times. Those are the times that I get encouraged the most. It's not so much the success story that they share with us, but the brokenness and the discouragement that they had to kind of overcome and how God worked in that person's life. Those kind of things encouraged me the most because I could totally identify with those guys being discouraged, feeling like I'm alone, that people don't really understand what the pastor is going through. So we have to come along and say, hey, you are not alone in this. We are in this thing together. And it says, be patient with all people. Patient. You know, the maturation process looks different for different people. You know, over the years as in ministry, I've seen all kinds of people. All kinds of people. People who catch fire early on, they're like, they're set off fire. Oh, God. And then they're just, we were so excited. But then over, year, over the years, they kind of flame out. It's like, ah, Jesus, man, whatever. Right. And there are different types of people who are steady eddies, right? That's as steady as it, it, it goes. It's just very steady people. There's no really fluctuations, uh, fluctuations of ups and downs. But they're very steady. Not really noticeable. But they're still growing steadily. Under the radar, but growing and there are some people who are late bloomers. They're like, in their early years, they're like, man, is he a Christian? Is she really saved? But then somehow, over the years, God works in that person's life in such a way that they are late bloomers. You know, over the years, there were people I thought were going to be really great leaders. They got, wow, that person, he's on fire. God's going to use him greatly. A lot of potential. Only to find out that they're really struggling, nowhere to be found now. And then there are people who I thought was, man, that guy is not going anywhere. But now he's thriving. He's being used by God in many different ways. 
be patient with one another. There's uh, this uh, uh, scholar called Klein uh, Snodgrass, and he he says this about patience. We must renounce the tyranny of our own agendas. The idea that we should not have to wait on anything or anyone is merely another form of self-centeredness. Did you get that? The idea that we should not have to wait on anything or anyone is merely another form of self-centeredness. Patience values others enough to give them room and time to fail, learn, and develop to mature at their own rate rather than expect them to do everything right and to do it now. I think that's a pretty good uh, saying about being patient. How easy it is for us to expect them to just grow right away. Oh, you know, we gave them Bible study. We gave them, we're preaching to them. So they should just grow left and right, right? How come they are not growing? How come they are not doing the things that we want them to do? They should, by now, they should be up here, but what I see is like they are down here. So, you know, uh, I'm doing the, uh, the, the college group on Friday evenings. And, um, you know, to be honest, not many people really come out. I know a lot of people, they have jobs. They, they work on the weekends. So there is, I know, the time conflict. But, like, to be honest with you, like, there were times when I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing here with only a couple of people that barely come out? Am I just wasting my time here? What am I doing on a Friday night? in front of these couple people, right? What about the rest of the people, you see? So there are times that I, I get discouraged. I'm like, oh, Pastor Jay, you know, what am I going to do? And is, this, is this worth it? But, you know, it just reminds me again that I cannot, it's not up to me to make them grow like I want them to. It's up to God. The only thing that God calls us to is to be faithful so that these people can grow as God allows them to grow, right? I mean, even just for me, if you guys saw me when I was in high school, I was one cocky, uh, very, uh, also very uh, insecure, very self-righteous, judgment punk. I mean, I really was. I um, thank God that none of you guys met me when I was in high school, because I thought I was all that. I thought I was super-duper Christian, judged everybody. I was so steeped in uh, legalism. Um, I don't think I, I would have been a friends with you guys because I was just too good for you guys, right? <laughs> That's what, so if, if I would skip Sunday services, because it's, I already know it all, so why, why bother going to boring services, right? So you wouldn't have known that I would be here now uh, standing in front of you and speaking God's word at that time. But God worked in ways that it's only by His grace that God worked. And God is still at work in every one of our hearts that we simply do not know how we're going to continue to mature. Patience. We all need one another because at some point in our lives, we may go through difficult times. Paul says here the responsibility of the whole community on the community itself. That every one of us is a minister for the gospel. We are to partner with one another. There's an author named Lucy Shaw. She wrote a book called God in the Dark. 
And there, she's going through a crisis. She's suffering mightily. And she identifies herself with a lot of the psalmists who say, God, where are you? I call on you. I call on you, but you don't answer. I'm in deep distress. I'm in need. But you are not answering me. Where are you? I'm crying out to you, God. Please show yourself to me. And then along the way, you know, in the depth of her darkest hours, her friends come along and just tell her in many different ways how they love her. They are there for her. They love her. So they are like the, like the fireflies that just flit in and out, telling her, just giving her sparks in, in her darkness of her soul. She appreciates their gesture, their prayers, and their showing of love, and yet she never receives the satisfactory answer from God. God, where are you? In reviewing her book, uh, Mar- uh, Margaret Smith notes that she, this author, seems to never make the connection between these two wires, where is God, and here are God's people. She sees, where is God? That's the only thing she's just concerned with. I want to receive the truth that God is with me. I call unto God, I pray to God, that you said, you promised that you would just, you know, uh, you know, minister and show yourself to me, and yet I don't see it. And here are people, her friends, come along and say, we are here for you, we love you. And that in reviewing of her book, she says, she never makes a connection between the two. Where is God? And here are God's people. You see, God often makes his presence known to us through his people. Instead of waiting for God, I need some supernatural like revelation. I need some like manifestation of your miraculous like work, manifest, manifestation in my life. Oftentimes, God makes his presence known to us through his people. In nurturing those who are weak, in caring for those who are in need, by uh, those who are in distress, by encouraging those who are fearful, and disciplining those who need it, we become ministers of the grace of the gospel. We become the hands and the feet of Jesus to those around us, through whom God reaches out to them. That's what God calls, that's how God works in many different ways. I don't know how many times, personally, that God truly encourages me and ministers to me through his people. Even just this, this past week, there are some uh, people that have just shared with me how, what a, uh, the, the impact that, that, uh, that I had on them. And I, it, was an un, it was unexpected, but it was just so encouraging to me. Right? Oftentimes, sometimes I want, you know, I'm like, you know what, that's what I need. Just a simple note of thanks or appreciate, appreciation, right? And that really lift, lifts me up. God works through his people. That's why we are here as a gospel community. So the first point, uh, quick, uh, the gospel community is ministers to one another. Second point, quickly, is the gospel community uh, extends grace. At the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ stands grace. By trusting in the person and the work of Christ, now we have received the forgiveness of our sins. 
and the restored relationship with God, something that we did not deserve at all. And as people who have received and experienced God's grace, now we turn and extend, extend grace to other people. In verse 15, right? See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. If impatience is a form of self-centeredness, as we looked at, then retaliation is another, isn't it, is it not? When we feel wronged by somebody else, our natural reaction is to retaliate. As humans, we are prone, too prone, to identify our enemies as God's enemies. Oh, that person just wronged me? Okay, right, God's really upset now, okay? You're my enemy, so that means, you know, you are God's enemy, right? That's how we, we just kind of identify people like that. We are just too eager to justify our desires, desires for revenge as God's justice. Oh, they deserve to get this, right? right. I'm not going to get mad, I'm just going to get even, right? But the gospel way, that's natural way, but the gospel way is entirely different. God called, the gospel calls us to forgive, to pay back evil with good. How can we do this when everything within us screams to retaliate? Look to Christ. We've got to once again come back to the gospel and look what Christ has done for each and, and every one of us. That calls us, that causes us to once again check our motive and then say, you know what? Even though the evil may have been done to me, I'm going to repay it with good. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone else. Christians or not, we are called to seek to do good to everyone. It's talking about lifestyle. And it is so easy for us to limit, limit our goodness and ministry just within us, within this boundary, and the Christians only. And it's easy for us to develop this us versus them mentality. That's how it was the, uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament. Oh, we are God's chosen people, and it's going to be within us. It's us versus the Gentiles. But here, Paul's command breaks down our tendency and forces us to see that God cares for the world, not just us. And Paul says, hey, within the, the gospel-centered community, we are to extend grace, not only to, just to one another, but also to everyone else. It's interesting that the Thessalonian church at the time was being persecuted. They were. There were people all that were just against them, attacking them. And yet, knowing all that Paul says, still seek to do good to those people who are trying to harm you. Seek to do good. Humanly impossible, but that's the gospel way that God calls us to because of Christ. That's what, isn't that what Christ has done for us? That when we were doing wrong things, the God, Jesus did not repay us with evil that was done to him, but he saved us. He brought us to himself through his own sacrifice. And that's what we are called to do as the gospel-centered community. So it's my prayer for all of us that as we seek to be a community of faith that exalts Christ and be gospel-centered, that we would do just that. 